Well, we're in the Sermon on the Mount still. Uh, we're still going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Last week we looked at the Beatitudes, a passage of scripture that's very well known, but probably not very well understood or even obeyed all the time as we seek to make that practical for now. But it's important. And Jesus pointed to the Beatitudes as a way that if we can live out the Beatitudes, we can really be salt and light in our communities. As we think about that, I want you to think about the last time you were at a party. Maybe it was a party at your house. Maybe it was somewhere else. could have been a birthday party, a neighborhood block party, something like that. But have you ever been to a party where you you just felt like this is kind of average or subpar, right? It's a little bit boring. Maybe it's a little bit awkward. Maybe you're hosting and people haven't started showing up yet and a few people show up, but they don't really know each other and they're not really talking and you're starting to sweat and you're like, ah, this is just, this party is not happening. And then somebody shows up and you know and your guests know and everybody knows, okay, now this is a party. There's just people out there, maybe you're one of them, but you all, we all have friends that when they show up, it just makes everything better, right, in a social situation. Those are the kind of people you need to invite if you're going to throw a party, or even if you're going to have a connection group, they can really help break the ice. Um, so we can see that one person can make a phenomenal difference in a setting, right? Even in the case of a party. Or maybe you're in school, and you just have the worst subject that you don't enjoy with an incredibly boring teacher. And you kind of slug through it. But you know the next class coming up is your favorite subject with a really dynamic uh, engaging teacher who just loves the students and you can't wait for that. That one person can really change the atmosphere. Um, or maybe you have a new coworker at work and you know that either for better or for worse, that one person is going to change the whole dynamic in your workplace. It's a reality, right? One person can affect so much. And as we think about that, think about us as a community, as a local church, collectively, We can do even more. We can affect positive change in our community and point people to Christ in a way that even one person can't do. Um, So as we look at, continue to look at the Sermon on the Mount, we can make a difference in our communities. In the last portion of the Beatitudes last week, we can see that sometimes the world is uh, on the offensive against followers of Christ. We can see there was mocking, persecution, lies being told, other evil happening. Even the early Christians were accused of some crazy things. They were accused of incest, cannibalism, even atheism. And this was all due to misunderstandings um, about Christian terms and worship practices. So they were slandered about all these kinds of things. People were um, persecuting. We as Christians, we want to be the opposite of that. We're not hindering Jesus' work. We're to bring the influence of God's kingdom to the world. So Jesus uses these two metaphors that we're going to look at this morning, salt and light, to describe the way Christians can live and function in the world and affect the world for the better. So why don't you stand? We're going to read Matthew 5, uh, verses 13 to 16. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. If you don't have a Bible, but you have a phone... The easiest Bible app is the one is the first one that pops up on your search. It just says Bible. It's from Life Church, and it's a great Bible app. You can use that as well. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. 
You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one, places, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Go ahead and take a seat as we continue this morning. So Jesus is saying something very straightforward and significant about the identity and function of his followers in the world that they live. At the very beginning of verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. This is interesting because salt had numerous values in the ancient world. So to understand this metaphor of salt, we need to understand the function of salt in that context, in that first century audience. Uh, In that culture, salt was so valuable that Romans often paid their soldiers with salt. So salt was used as a form of payment or currency. You might have heard the saying, you're not worth your salt. That's where that came from. There's great value there with salt. In the Old Testament, there's a variety of uses that we can see as we go through the books of the Old Testament. We can see that salt presents purity. It presents uh, covenant loyalty. In fact, in the ancient Near Eastern world, if you went to someone's home and they gave you salt as a gift or they put salt on your food and you ate it, you were entering into a covenant of loyalty with that person, of fidelity, of commitment to the end. So salt was very, very important in that setting. We can see that in the book of Leviticus. It was also an additive to sacrifices, and it was, it was used as seasoning for food, which we see in the New Testament and even see today. So we've got a slide of a few other uses of salt uh, in the New Testament time period. We've got salt as a preservative for food, as an antiseptic, which brings healing and cleansing. Salt helped the human body sustain moisture, in a dry and hot climate. It was a fire catalyst, a fertilizer, and of course, as already mentioned, a seasoning agent. So we can, we can draw parallels between most of these uses of salts, of salt, and our presence as, as Christians in the world that we live. For example, as a preservative, we can protect against continuing decay in society, but we have to be active in, in society to do that. We can be an antiseptic. We can bring the healing uh, and cleansing good news of Jesus Christ. Have you ever been out in the ocean with a, with a cut on your arm or your leg and you get into the waves and it stings? It stings and then a few moments later it's soothing, right? And as we bring the good news, the gospel, as we communicate the gospel to people, it's good news that's going to bring them healing, but there might be a bit of a sting in the beginning because it's difficult for people to, uh, if they're not ready, to come to a place to admit that they're sinful and separated from a loving God. So there's that sting. And then when Jesus draws them closer, they experience the healing and wholeness of knowing Jesus. Um, we can be uh, a catalyst in culture if we engage people with the good news without compromising our convictions. So we can find different parallels, but I think the two that that most make sense in this context would be that of a preservative and a seasoning agent. 
Christians are called the salt of the earth because we have this preserving power in a world that's lost and needs Jesus. And regardless of our status or our profession, um, the kingdom life that we can live into can have this preserving effect in whatever realm that you're working and living in. So point number one is disciples, we play a valuable role in our culture. We play a valuable role in our culture. And as I think about uh, believers and local churches, I can't help but wonder if often we've been too withdrawn from culture. Even early on in the Christian uh, community, they had monastic communities. The desert fathers would go out into the desert to get away from the evil world and just to be with God. And, of course, there's a certain power and a witness with that. Uh, even today, we still have monasteries where people are focused on praying in a community. But that said, we can't all live a monastic lifestyle and affect and impact our culture. So does it matter? Do we matter? Does it make a difference to our neighborhoods, to our kids' schools, to our workplaces, to our city, if we, if we are there? Does it matter that we're there? Notice that in the text Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we are salt. It's not an option. The, command, the text is not a command, but it's a statement. And it doesn't say, try to be salty or become salty. It says, you are the salt of the earth. So we're not told to become that. We're told to stay that. Stay salty. Be who you are in Jesus. So I think the most true effect of salt that we can uh, see in this passage would be that of as a seasoning agent. We know this because Jesus actually mentions the taste or flavor of salt. So that fact in the, in the text really supports that interpretation. So we want to be people that season our surroundings. So that's my encouragement to you. Season your surroundings. Season your surroundings as a follower of Jesus. If we're the salt of the earth, we can actually make a difference. We've been called to affect society, to engage culture with the gospel, and to live out our faith in the world that we live in. When you think about reaching people for the good news... Uh, as a Christian community, uh, think about how we do this cross-culturally. When we send people to another culture to reach people with the gospel, we seem to have a pretty big capacity and give a lot of latitude for people to be very creative in that, in that cultural context, to really meet people where they are at. It's a completely different culture, right? There's a lot of different things that you have to learn um, and able to be able to engage with people. Uh, and, but then some, somehow at home, churches can sometimes get into a, a habit of, of not being willing to engage people where they're at. We tend to be kind of a little bit more protective and exclusive. Uh, it's a struggle that Christian communities have to grapple with. Uh, but I would say this, even though our tendency is to kind of create safe bubbles for ourselves and our families or even our whole communities, we have to allow for some messiness. A cross-cultural missionary um, has a lot of things that are learned as they try to engage the culture. As we get creative here in reaching our city, our sphere, we have to allow for a little bit of messiness and the opportunity to learn if we're serious about engaging people where they're at. So we want to engage the culture, but we don't want to compromise our commitment to Christ because we're not supposed to blend in 
with society, but we should be able to reach people where they are. Russell Moore, uh, smart guy, he's the president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, the public policy arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. And Russell's made a number of, of thought-provoking points in his most recent book, great book, it's, it's entitled Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. This is what Moore says in the book. To rail against the culture is to say to God that we are entitled to a better mission field than the one he has given us. At the same time, if we simply dissolve into culture around us or refuse to leave untroubled the questions the culture deems too sensitive to ask, we are not on mission at all. So we don't want to constantly be railing against and hammering and critical at every turn of everything in the broader culture. Because if we do that, we don't have any relational influence to engage them with the good news. But at the same time, we don't want to become like the culture. So it's this, it's, it's this tricky line walking of engaging the culture with the good news and truth of Jesus and to live the countercultural realities of the Sermon on the Mount without losing our convictions. In my house, it's always fun and exciting when we can have a meal together in the evening. Three little kids. Part of the, part of the deal is, okay, before we can even eat, we've got to get everybody to sit down and be still. So there's a, might be like a high chair or a booster seat or different seating arrangements, but they're squirming around. We're trying to get them to sit still so we can eat. And so that's part of the excitement. Then as the food's coming out, um, I take the liberty of going to the cupboard and I get whatever seasoning that I like. Crushed red peppers, regular pepper, of course salt, right? So I bring, I bring it to the table and then I'm get, oh, kid squirmed away. So I'm getting them back in their seat and then Jen, my wife, grabs the salt, takes it off the table and puts it back in the cupboard. And then I go back and get it again. So we, we do that a little bit and sometimes I win and sometimes she wins. So this, this week I had salt and I was salting my food. Unfortunately, I hadn't even tasted it yet, so I should have had more trust that I didn't need it. But I was salting my food. Then I put it down. One of my daughters grabs the salt shaker, looks at it, adjusts it a little bit, opens it up, and just starts pouring the salt on her food. And then she starts eating it, and she's she's choking it down, but she loves it. So we all got a good chuckle about that. But the salt was doing what it was supposed to do, right? It, It was in the salt shaker. And then it came pouring out and it affected, it permeated that food. And it's the same with us as believers. We can't just, if we're the salt of the earth, we can't just stay in the salt shaker. We have to get out of the salt shaker and we have to affect whatever context it is that we're in. Whether it's your workplace or your school, whether that's a public school or a Christian school or your homeschooling or your neighborhood, we have to be salt where we are. So people that don't know and follow Jesus, they're watching us. So we need to season our surroundings by living out the Christian character that Jesus shows us and we looked at last week in the Beatitudes. Uh, Something else to think about here. When you're in a certain setting, and this setting is kind of hostile to your beliefs or to who you are as a Christian uh, or to your morals or your character or whatever, or it's challenging, or maybe it's just indifferent. It's not even thinking about the things that you care about as a, as a Christ follower. Who affects who in that situation? Does that challenging setting, 
does that affect you for the negative? Or do you, as a follower of Jesus, indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the same power living in you that raised Jesus from the dead in you as well? That's the same, the power of the Spirit is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives in us if we're followers of Christ. Are you going to affect and positively season that situation? Of course, we have to use wisdom here, but still, something to think about. Are you always going to avoid difficult settings? Um, or do you, with the power of Jesus in you, can you bring positive change to a, to a challenging situation? We have so many opportunities uh, in the way that we live our lives. Um, I played sports growing up. It's a great opportunity to, to be salt in the earth. Uh, if you've been on a team as a follower of Jesus, you know there's pressures, there's challenges, but there's also incredible opportunities to be salt. Especially if you're a young person kind of traveling around with your team, or maybe your parent is coaching, or there's others that are involved, but it's a great opportunity to be salt. If you're in the workplace and you frequently travel, there's no secret that as you go to that conference or as you meet with those clients, there's just no end to dinners and cocktail parties and, and just socializing. And it can be challenging if you're trying to live out your values, but it can also be an incredible opportunity um, to have great conversations with people for the sake of the gospel. And then there's the opportunity to actually intentionally put yourself in a situation to affect it for the gospel. I think of people that I know that, um, you know, when you're looking for a place to live, you ha- kind of have a list of what you're looking for. That's how most of us do things. Others have a really specific call to go where it's really hard. I know people that have specifically decided to move to this neighborhood and put their kids in this school, some of, the, some of what we might consider some of the worst options in the city, but they're doing it to be a light, to be missionaries in that neighborhood, to bring blessing and seasoning to that area. I personally know a number of people who are living and serving in very dangerous areas in the world, restricted access countries, but they're there. Uh, called by God, working for justice, for peace, expressing mercy and compassion. Some of us might be called to do these things, but we're limited by fear. Or maybe you're, you don't actually have the fear, but the people that care about you have the fear, right? Um, that's something to navigate carefully with wisdom. And, but my advice is when God is calling you, bring in wise counsel, but push forward. Don't be limited by fear. Second part of Matthew 13 says this, But what good is salt if salt has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Any science teachers here this morning? Or teachers who understand science? Okay, we got at least one. Okay, here's the question. Can salt lose its saltiness? Can salt lose its saltiness? Um, you might be thinking, no. And that's, that's actually correct, right? Because sodium chloride is a stable compound. So if it's salt, it's salt. But that said, in Jesus' day, salt wasn't really, it was rarely pure. So if they're collecting it from the Dead Sea and it's containing this mixture of other minerals, and then they're trying to use it, but it's being washed out as they collect it, the residue... Uh, that lacked the salty taste would be left over and some of the pure salt is gone. So you've got this diluted salt. So that's how in their terms um, salt could lose its saltiness. 
Similarly, as followers of Jesus, we can damage or we can lose our witness and our testimonies. Um, and a more, literal tra- a more literal translation might say this. Instead of saying, what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? It might say, if the salt has become tasteless. And in Greek, this meant to become foolish. So as we allow impurities and compromises to kind of slowly over time drag us down and then affect our witness, Jesus is basically saying, if you lose your saltiness, you're damaging your witness and you're making a fool of yourself. So the challenge to us is let's not be hypocrites or live uh, contradictions to our friends. Let's, let's be who we are in our identity in Christ. Let's be salt and let's let people know early on, right? When you're meeting people, whether in the workplace or in school or whatever the context, let people know as early on as possible that you're a Christ follower. And don't do it in an awkward way. I think you don't have to do it in an awkward way because as you're, as you're forming a friendship with someone, it doesn't take too long before the topic of, hey, have a great weekend. What are you doing this weekend? Or something like that comes up and you have a very natural uh, opportunity to just share what you do on Sunday mornings with, with your friends and family. So if you can just let people know early on, it keeps you more accountable to living out your Christian faith. So a salty Christian makes, makes other people thirsty for Jesus, including other Christians. I think you can all think about somebody who's invested in your life, discipled you or mentored you. They made you more passionate about Jesus and the gospel. So that's the capacity we have as Christians who are salty. So let's not lead lives that damage our witness. Let's press forward, empowered by Jesus. We talked about our 75th anniversary coming up. There's a great logo there that Christine Schroeder made for us. It's going to be on some items in a couple of weeks that you can have the opportunity to get. Um, we're excited about this as we celebrate God's faithfulness in the past, the present, and then we look towards the future but how we can be salt and light in our communities. It's, it's an incredibly, incredibly exciting time to be connected to a church and to think about how we can affect our community for the better. With that said, we've talked about City Serve, and City Serve is leading up to City Fest. So as we serve in the neighborhood, uh, people are prepared to receive the good news of Jesus. We've got this incredible outreach event on April 1st and 2nd on the Save Mart Center grounds, and I've got a short video to show you about that right now. There's a story being told throughout our nation that the church is no longer relevant, that religion is dead. But God tells a different story. When the church unites around Jesus to love their city, to make him known, he moves. Lives are changed. The story is rewritten. It's time for our friends, our family, our region, for the entire valley to experience Jesus. It's time for us to come together as one body, praying for our friends, serving our city, proclaiming the gospel. It's time for good news in the valley. So this is going to be great. You can see there's multiple ways to engage people. There's going to be a family fun zone. There's going to be music. There's going to be art. There's going to be a three-on-three basketball tournament. There's going to be a fitness competition. The list goes on and on. And at every one of these turns, there's going to be a gospel proclamation as well. 
So it's going to be, even if you just bring your friends for the food trucks or whatever they have there for food and hang out and watch some CrossFit guy do some crazy things, it will be great. And if they hear the gospel, even better. It's going to be a great, great time. So I encourage you to plan to go to that event. Uh, if you'd like to pray with people who respond uh, in saving faith, you can do that as well. Talk to me about that. I can get you connected to that opportunity. Uh, we have the tra- evangelism training classes going on. We've, we've now completed two weeks. There's one more next week. I encourage you to jump in if you can do that. So we want to be a light in our community. Uh, the second metaphor Jesus uses in this text is just that. It's that of light. Matthew 5.14 says this, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. So light's always been a biblical metaphor of truth and healing, and Jesus even used this to describe himself. He said, but while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. That's John 9.5. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. And now that Jesus is with his Father and we have the presence of his Spirit, we are his light here as well to reach our communities for Christ. So again, similar to salt, the, the question here is, is with light is not, will you be light? The only question is, what kind of light will you be? Remember that all some people know about God, they know from you, from observing you. So we've got to shine the light of Christ. It's not enough just to have um, a type of kind of private, personal holiness. We need to, we need to light the world in public. We have a personal faith, but it's not to be only private. It's to be public as well. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night uh, in your bedroom and kind of stumbled around in the darkness? Earlier this week, I got up in the middle of the night and I stepped on this large toy at the foot of our bed that I didn't know was there. And I almost, I almost totally whiffed it. But I was able to get to the lights, the, the dimmer light switch in our room. And I didn't want to wake Jen up, so I just kind of put it up a little bit. And just a tiny little bit of light can just fill our whole room with enough, enough light that I could figure out who I was and where I was and what I was doing in the middle of the night. And uh, I think it's the same in society. Just a small amount of light of the good news of Jesus can do incredible things. I don't know if you noticed, but we're not an underground church in this country, right? We have the privilege of gathering freely. We don't have to sneak around in the dark. We can be the light of the world in our context. So next in this passage, Jesus shares a couple of of mini parables. The first is in the second part of Matthew 5.14. The first part of that verse says, You are the light of the world. Now here's the parable. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. See, in Jesus' day, cities were up on a hill a lot of times. They were up on a hill for a variety of reasons. First, it was cooler up there. There's no air conditioning, so the wind blows and you can really feel the cool air. It was good protection against a military attack. I mean, can you imagine trying to attack a city and you've got to go uphill and it's fortified, but you're going uphill? You don't have as good of a chance. Um, The city was very visible because it was in an elevated position and it was likely largely constructed using uh, white limestone, which made for great visibility and reflection, whether it was at nighttime or during the day. So it was easy to see these cities. For us, is it easy to see our light? Is it easy to see our light and how we live? Or are we too dim? 
There's a lot of ways that we can struggle with being too dim, with the light being too dim in our life. Uh, we can be quiet when we should speak up. And oftentimes that just demoralizes us even more because we let a, a kind of a strategic opportunity pass and then we don't have courage moving forward. So we're quiet when we should say something. Uh, or maybe we just have a tendency to go along with the crowd. Or maybe, um, you know, there's so many things in life that without even realizing it, sin can just kind of attach itself to us, can become a habit, and it can just kind of weigh you down. Then you're walking around with the weight of sin instead of walking in your identity. That can make us too dim. Or we can just ignore the needs of others and over time sear our conscience, and then we're too dim again. So does the light that we shine, does it make it easy for people to find their way to God? Sometimes people are drawn to God just through observing just the simplicity and, and the joy of your life. Just sensing that you have this peace and joy, something that they don't have. And as they sense that, that's a witness right there. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 um, says this. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, Do everything without complaining and arguing, except on Facebook and social media, so that no one can criticize you. No, that's not what it says, but I... I think, I think about that all the time, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky. I think we all need to be careful with that, with our use of social media. It says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Crooked and perverse people. So we have to be careful how how we live. We don't want to be complaining and constantly arguing. We want to be shining like bright lights, not just a dim light or a regular light, but we want to be a bright light. Where? In a world full of crooked and perverse people. So we, all, we just have this tendency of just kind of protecting ourselves. And, but the context is a world full of crooked and perverse people, and we're to be bright lights, bright lights in that context. So when we're shining the light of Christ brightly like on a hill, it's noticeable to others. It's public. Point number three, go public. Go public with your faith. Light your world. So moving further in from this image of a city on a hill, Jesus now talks about his second little parable, and it focuses on a household that has a lamp. And this lamp is providing light. Matthew 5:15. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. It gives light to everybody in the house. So Jesus is contrasting elevating a lamp on a lampstand with covering it with a basket. When we think about a lamp, we might think about something in our house, but the one that he's talking about here looks more like this. It's from the time period. It's just this clay, small clay lamp, the big hole in the front, you pour the oil in there, and then on the other side is another little hole, and that's where the wick is. So it's a small lamp, but in that time period, that lamp would have been incredibly effective, just lighting up a modest Jewish home. Some of those were just one-room homes. It would work. So just as people didn't hide their lamps under a basket, we shouldn't hide our lights either. If you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you've likely heard uh, heard this question before. Think about a court system. If you, were, if you were being tried for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
That's a tough one. It always kind of stings a little bit when you hear that question. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? You might think back, yeah, well, back, back at this time in my life, I really felt like I was being used by God. There was definitely evidence there. Um, or maybe you're excited about something coming up and you know, yes, this thing that God's called me to, there is going to be some serious evidence there that I'm his follower. Something to think about. Is there evidence that we're following Jesus? Think about uh, devotions. How many of you like to do devotions early in the morning when it's quiet before everybody's up? Not very many morning people here, a few. Okay. The other option is uh, late at night or in the middle of the day. Or whenever your time is, you've carved out a spot. I think generally speaking, morning, morning is great if you can figure that out because then you can start your, your day in a certain way. But putting, putting a basket over a lamp, it's like getting up early in the morning, spending time with Jesus, getting filled with the Word of God, and then compartmentalizing your life to the point where your light doesn't shine with what you do next. So you've got this incredible time in God's Word, you're talking to Jesus, you're filled with God's Word, and then you go to work or school or you're in the community or whatever, and it's not making a difference. You're not shining your light. Jesus says something uh, pretty powerful and clear in the next verse in Matthew 5:16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. He basically says, live intentionally so God gets the glory. That's the final point today in your outline. Live intentionally so God gets the glory. It's a command and not simply a suggestion to let your light shine. So when Jesus says, let your good deeds shine, uh, he means it. And he might be thinking about another group of people in his day. There were different uh, groups of Jewish people. One of the groups is called the Essenes, and they were an exclusivist, kind of cloistered, communal sect of Judaism, similar to those monastic groups that we talked about earlier, in that they did not engage with society a lot. They were kind of off to their own, just kind of remain their own thing, as pure as they could. Conversely, Jesus tells us to have a different approach to the world around us. I love this prayer in John chapter 17. Read the whole chapter when you get a chance. But this prayer, Jesus is praying for believers then, and he's actually praying for believers for all time, for even us today. This is what he says in part of it. I'm not asking you, he's praying to the Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. This is what Jesus is praying about us, about his followers. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm sending them into the world. Into the world. So we can be sent into the world and we can stay engaged with society, an evil society, but we don't have to become part of it. We don't want to compromise our convictions. In 1 Peter 2, it says this, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. Temporary residents and foreigners. I mean, just reading that, that he's equating us with that, that should give us an extra measure of compassion as you kind of meditate on that for Various people. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they'll give 
honor to God when he judges the world. So Peter says, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Part of living intentionally and letting our good deeds shine is living carefully among our neighbors, and especially our unbelieving neighbors. Have any of you guys moved recently from like one location to the next, this apartment to that one, or this house to that one, or maybe you just moved to Fresno recently? Isn't it kind of a, a freeing, exciting feeling when you realize you get, to kind of, you get a clean slate with your neighbors? You get to start over, and if you've inadvertently burnt some bridges or had some issues or some conflict, it just you get to start over. It's an exciting thing. Um, you remember that you've got this opportunity to light, to let your light shine. But you know, you don't have to move to do that. You can just make a new commitment, right? You can make a commitment to walk in reconciliation and peace, be a peacemaker, um, and to let your light shine and build back up your witness over time. And when we do that, there's no kind of false dichotomy between actions and words. We want to be consistent. So as we carry out these good deeds that shine for Jesus, we can actually talk about Jesus as we do that. We can point to Jesus as the reason for why we do that. So in conclusion today, I want to encourage all of us to let our light shine. We don't have to have the fame of somebody like Steph Curry to shine our light. We can be exactly where we are, exactly in the situation that God has placed us. God is already working where you are. You don't have to wait for the next thing to shine your light. So whatever your situation, you might be in a unique time period where you're just incredibly busy with young children, or this is the season in in your work life where you're working very long hours, and you know it's a season, but it's necessary. Or maybe you're attending class or maybe you're um, recently retired and you have some more time, but you're investing it in community organizations or other opportunities. Whatever situation you're in, you can live intentionally and let the light of Jesus shine. Let's pray this morning. Father, we're so grateful for your great love for us that you sent your son Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for us for paying the price of our sin, that we can have life with you now and for eternity. And we don't have to wait for eternity, Lord, to enjoy our relationship with you. God, empower us to make a difference wherever you've placed us, whatever situation it might be. We want to live for you. We want to season our surroundings. We want to be the light of you, Jesus, wherever we are. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus is your personal Savior and the leader of your life, I encourage you to meet with me or someone from the prayer team after the service. Be available, and you can make that decision or learn at least learn more about that today. So, God, we just give today to you. We ask that you empower us as we step out into our communities, workplaces, and schools this week. Thank you that we can be your salt and light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.